0: Driving our daily lives, from batteries and electric vehicles, to the colors in our smartphones, to our most advanced military weapons, rare earth and critical minerals are at the heart of our modern life. In this special report, we look at what China's dominance in the world's rare earth means for us, how that impacts every sector of society, from civilian to defense, to what the U.S. can do now to turn the tide. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. Rare earths and critical minerals, elements at the bottom of the periodic table, but now they're at the top in terms of importance.
1: The uh, rare earth minerals is one of the saddest stories uh, in American history. We uh, did not want to be dependent on China for rare earth minerals because they are defense critical and our best minds of best and brightest people decided that if we had a war with China, they may not sell us rare earth minerals to make weapons out of possible. So we uh, opened up the rare earth mineral uh, mine in the United States, but the processing is still being done in China. So we're actually extracting minerals here and sending them to China for processing.
0: Defense is one area. Rare earth minerals are crucial. But before we jump into the nitty gritty, just what exactly are rare earth minerals? And why are they so important?
2: so rare earths are a, a number of different elements if you remember your chemistry class you had the periodic table of elements and helium hydrogen oxygen etc so as uh, chemistry has evolved over the last few hundred years we've added more and more and so there are a number of them that are actually at the bottom of the uh, periodic table and they have these very unique characteristics that allow the technologies now that we rely on to actually happen uh they can handle heat better. They are more malleable. Uh, They uh, perform
0: different properties in terms of being able to do lasers or provide color. That's Ann Bridges, author of Groundbreaking, America's New Quest for Mineral Independence, and Rare Metal. Making up a set of 17 metallic elements, rare earth is used in everything from batteries to fighter jets, computer hard drives, and hybrid cars. That's in combination with critical minerals, such as copper, lithium, nickel, cobalt, and others. Bridges goes on to note just how many uses they have. It's a breadth of
2: applications. Basically, any technology that you, you are using these days has them in them.
0: Given all the different uses, what's the concern?
2: The issue really is that while they are scattered around the world, which is what you'll hear, they're everywhere, they are in such tiny uh, proportions. It would be like going to the beach and looking for them among all the sand. It's it's just very very tiny. So the way they are gathered up is if you have a commitment to mining. And the U.S. used to do that. We mined iron ore, right? Our steel mills sucked it up. Detroit, Minnesota, Chicago. They are wholly reliant on the steel industry, which started with iron. So we dug up iron, and then a byproduct of that was the rare earths, because now all of a sudden you could capture them and process them in enough quantities to make them valuable.
0: During the Cold War, the U.S. led the world in rare earth and critical minerals. But since then, we've handed that title away to a foe, and we've even helped them achieve that.
2: I think the other area that that needs to be considered fairly is that uh, as China pulled themselves out of the economic doldrums of the 50s and 60s, they created a dual-use concept for technology that they would develop technology for commercial use, but then also use it for the military. And I think that that sounded very attractive to many politicians after the Cold War. We thought we'd never you know, have to worry about it again. So isn't that a great idea? So uh, having China be the the supplier of that technology, we weren't at war with them. We didn't think there was any threat. We were trying to, in fact, give them a hand up so that they could join uh, and be a good trading partner and open up their markets. Uh, it seemed like a win-win. But
0: was
3: it a win-win? That we can't build uh, a future that's made in America if we ourselves are dependent on China for the materials that power the products of today and tomorrow. Right
0: now, China is the only country capable of producing every known rare earth mineral. It's also the country with the world's largest reserve stockpile of rare earth. Minnesota Representative Pete Stauber says what makes it so much worse is that the U.S. can be critical mineral independent.
3: Well, I think it's unfortunate that this administration has has, uh, put their dependency for both critical minerals and rare earth minerals in the hands of the communist country of China. Uh, and it's simply unacceptable when we, are, we have the critical minerals and uh, a few of the rare earths right here in the United States. Uh, this administration just won't let us mine these. Uh, we have the best environmental standards, best labor standards, and the opportunity to secure our supply chain dependency uh, and put the destiny of our great nation in the palm of our own hands and, and not rely on you know, foreign adversarial nations that don't have our best interests at heart.
0: So what does that global dependence on China mean?
3: If today the communist country of China stopped selling us their uh, critical and rare earth minerals, we would be in deep trouble from our national defense uh, to our manufacturing uh, across the globe. Bridges adds we're already feeling
0: the effects from China. Uh, life doesn't always work out the way we envision it,
2: and we, the whole world is now reliant on single source, certainly single locale um, regions in the world to supply certain things. And even today, I don't know if you saw this, uh, the lithium uh Plants in China have been closed down for a period of time because of the extreme drought. There's no more hydropower or not enough to run these factories.
0: But looming over the supply chain issues is another threat, the threat of war. Following Russia's war on Ukraine, many have turned their gaze on China to see whether Xi Jinping will pull a Putin and go after Taiwan. While Taiwan is a democratically ruled island that has never been ruled by the Chinese communist regime, the party sees it as part of its own territory and has threatened to take it back by force if necessary. Following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, Beijing has ramped up its aggressive rhetoric towards Taiwan, pushing some to fear it could escalate into a kinetic conflict. But if that were to happen, what does that mean in terms of our weapons that rely on rare earth minerals? China economic analyst Antonio Graceffo notes.
1: Oh, this is the problem. If we had a war with China, you know, I said it tongue in cheek before, but seriously, if we have a war with China, they're not gonna sell us materials that we need to make weapons. Uh, so we will have a shortage of these materials. But, and there's also really scary things like pharmaceuticals, pharmaceutical inputs come from China. And if there's a war, they'll just stop You know, people that are dependent on certain medicines, you know, might die, uh, you know, initially, you know, until we can figure out how to produce them here. So this is a lot of why a lot of, uh, you know, uh, congressional representatives, a lot of uh, journalists, a lot of people who speak out are saying, please, we need to decouple from China. We need to move our supply chains out of China, diversify supply chains, reshore manufacturing for these critical things like pharmaceuticals and defense critical materials.
0: That's because these elements are the heart of many critical technologies the Defense Department depends on, ranging from lasers to precision-guided weapons to more. Bridges adds Beijing already has a history of using rare earth as leverage during times of disputes.
2: We saw a little bit of this in uh, 2010, Japan and China actually had a conflict over rare earth specifically, and China responded by cutting off Japan's access to the rare earths, which really had an impact on, excuse me, on Japan's manufacturing capabilities. So it is not outside of the uh, scope of the imagination to believe that in a time of warfare, indeed China would leverage this kind of uh, power they have. And let me just give you some numbers. We're talking about, while only 60% these days of the mining of rare earths happens on Chinese land, they are importing quite a bit from Africa, from south america uh, a lot of the islands around the uh, asian pacific so they have consolidated a processing uh function for the industry and then they purify it they refine it they make it into the metals and the magnets and the alloys that then feed into their manufacturing plant so when we say well they may just cut off rare earths can't we just dig them up ourselves it's not just that it's the entire uh process to take it from
0: rare earths to the finished product. Given how important these elements are, how did we get here?
1: Some of these processing, I mean, if you if you trace the history of why it wound up in China, a lot of it is because of um, pollution standards, you know, in Europe. You know, it would be impossible to do these things in Europe. And then the U.S. has strict standards, but not quite as strict as Europe. And then China has uh, much lower standards. So a lot of things do get sent to China. And it costs so much money to start it up that once it's established anywhere in the world, it is very difficult to start it somewhere else in the world because it would just, the initial investment is so expensive when you could just send it to China, you know, and get it done.
0: Given the current push into environmental protection and clean energy, is there a way to achieve a balance between the two?
3: There needs to be certainty in the process. There needs to be, uh, you know, standards at every point within the process. And you can't move those standards, uh, or, or for uh, another term, you can't move the goalposts posts uh, during the process. Like we've seen in so many areas of this country and so many projects, uh, the project has met the specific standards and they move the goalpost. So you're looking at certainty is needed. And then you have to ha- make sure that uh, uh, the workforce is there. And in the United States of America and northeastern Minnesota, I can tell you we have the workforce to mine these critical and rare earth minerals without question.
0: Bridges notes historically legislation aimed to do both.
2: Was The 1970s was an era of a lot of the environmental protection uh, agencies being set up. But in 1980, uh, there was actually a law that was passed and signed by President Reagan that required that any uh, environmental protection be balanced with the productivity of our country. And that's kind of been ignored and shoved aside and not referenced very much. But it is a very key portion, because in essence, what has happened now over the last few decades is the concept of environmental protection has meant protect- protect the land at all costs, uh, stay off of it, do not touch it, do not damage it, do not even you know, dare to think about using a portion of it on behalf of the American citizens. So simultaneously, corporations got, got tired of the lawsuits and the liabilities and fighting, uh, not just the federal level, but the states have their own uh, environmental laws as well as in every local region and city, county, et cetera, uh, has stakeholders now that can weigh in and stop a project. So it literally takes 10 to 20 years to get a project approved, maybe. And the private enterprise has said, never mind, we'll go find the least cost provider.
0: The U.S. has taken steps to lessen that economic dependence. The U.S. Department of Defense recently awarded mining company MP Materials a $35 million contract. That's to build a new processing facility. MP controls the U.S.'s only rare earths mine, but the company still depends on China for processing. To address environmental concerns, the White House said it would form a committee to recommend changes to the 1872 mining law. The rule has governed hard rock mining across much of the United States since the 19th century. Congressman Staber says it begins with a shift
3: in thinking. Well, First off, we, we, number one, you have to have the political will uh, to, to you know to mine and process in the United States. You have to have the investment and there's called something called the NEPA process. We have to reform the NEPA, NEPA process so we can you know we can process here and 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 reshore our manufacturing here. Uh, we have a mine, for instance, in uh, northeastern Minnesota that's uh, entering its 20th year of permitting. 20 years! And, and by the way, in the same watershed in the country of Canada, they opened a gold mine within three years. And so we have to make sure that, that the NEPA process, the reforms uh, are, are transparent and allow these uh, manufacturing and processing facilities to move forward in a timely fashion. Bridges expands on that.
2: Personally and professionally, I would say the the mindset has to change that the government can do it all. What the government can do with the Department of Defense and the Department of Transportation uh, is issue purchase orders saying we want to buy X number of magnets, okay? or uh, I think what they're trying to do with the U.S. Postal Service is say buy electric Jeeps. Fine. Put a purchase order. Say this is how much money we're contracting for. You would be surprised when there's guaranteed money at by a date certain how quickly business people very, you know, calculate what it's going to take and they'll either make it happen or they'll find someone who will and it will happen.
0: Congressman Stauber says America has the resources and workforce ready and willing to shore up the nation's defense. FENCES.
3: EIGHTY PERCENT OF THIS NATION'S STEEL IS MADE BECAUSE OF THE IRON ORE MINED IN northeastern MINNESOTA, AND IT'S CALLED THE IRON RANGE. RIGHT NOW, THE DULUTH COMPLEX Uh, has the critical minerals in our uh, Northeastern Minnesota area. It holds 95% of the nation's nickel reserves, 88% of the cobalt reserves, and over a third of the copper and other platinum group metals that we use every single day. And this administration for purely political reasons, pulled the leases from that company, wouldn't even allow that company to go to, through the highest environmental impact statement. And that's un- unacceptable, unacceptable. We have the workforce that is ready, able, and willing to mine those uh, minerals that we, that we need and, f- and that we use every single day and, and really help for the strategic national security. Bridges points out what can be accomplished when those
0: regulations are put in place. When government and private enterprises work together.
2: Well, I think one major thing all the governments could do is get the regulations out of the way. We saw with COVID when it hit, um, when President Trump used the Defense Production Act, we were able to switch some factories around overnight. Uh, The private industry was willing to, in essence, go on war footing to help Uh, deliver. And we delivered in record time. I think even I was amazed at some of the things we were able to do. But that shows that we have the expertise in the private sector. We do not have it in the public sector.
0: But if steps aren't taken... If the U.S. stays reliant on an adversary, the future is rather bleak.
3: The consequences will be devastating for our nation. Uh, we will be relying on adversarial nations and other nations for these rare earth and critical minerals. And it doesn't have to be this way. We must have an administration uh, that uh, understands the importance of securing our critical minerals and our rare earth minerals. We have to return Uh, in this country, the United States of America, to mining and mineral dominance. And we can do that if we have the political will.
0: But it's not just political views. It's our whole world view. Bridges warns we could be setting ourselves up to lose.
2: I think we need to be very careful about how we accept uh, kind of a, a single worldview, whether it's coming from Communist China, whether it's coming from the World Economic Forum. Um, we have are so interconnected now that a bad piece of information is creating a knee-jerk reaction that's whiplashed around the world. We saw that with COVID. We're seeing it now with the electric vehicles. They're, they're fine, you know, for people who want to buy them, fine, but why are we coercing people uh, to buy them? Why are we forcing the people out of certain other choices? America was always known for having the most choices, and we are now taking those choices away. Why? In order to conform to what uh, China wants? That doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: As experts note, America is at a crossroads. We have the ability to be self-sufficient, the resources needed to run our daily lives and boost our defenses. But if we continue to rely on an adversary for those critical elements, the U.S. will continue to be at the whims of another nation, one that doesn't have our best interests at heart. Coming up, the U.S. is boosting its defenses in the Indo-Pacific. Missile system upgrades are coming on the island of Guam to help counter Chinese aggression and a closer look at China's job market. Hit by the pandemic and other factors, the nation's unemployment is seeing hard times, especially for recent graduates. More on that after the break, here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Now for today's news, the U.S. is upgrading its missile defense system on the island of Guam, a U.S. territory and strategic axis in the Indo-Pacific region. Here's more.
4: The U.S. is stepping up its missile defense system in Guam. Experts say the massive upgrade will counter Chinese aggression and help protect Taiwan from a potential Beijing invasion. The head of the U.S. Missile Defense Agency, John Hill recently shared a progress update. Hill said Taiwan is facing what he called an evolved threat. That's because of China's advanced ballistic and cruise missiles, new hypersonic weapons, and even potential threats from space. He noted those weapons could strike at the same time from multiple directions and points of origin. Hill also touched on the coming fiscal year's presidential budget. In it, he said there's a portion for the Missile Defense Agency, set aside for ballistic and hypersonic missile defense capability. That's on top of the portion for Army's cruise missile defenses. Hill said the great thing is that both systems have crossover in what they do. Guam is home to critical air and naval facilities. It could be a major target in the case of an Indo-Pacific war. Voice of America cited a researcher saying Guam will serve as a logistical hub. That's because it's close enough to expected conflict locations, but also far enough to stay out of certain Chinese weapons range.
0: Now let's shift to the economy. Certain factors are hinting at trouble for China's job market. One of them, record high unemployment insurance fund payouts. And it's not a small gap compared to last year. Here are the details.
5: What's happening with China's unemployment rate? Data on unemployment insurance payouts may give us a hint. This June, China's unemployment insurance fund paid out two and a half times as much as last year. The payments jumped to $5.4 billion, the highest since the data series began in 2013. This according to data from the Chinese Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security. The fund is pulled from employers, employees and government subsidies. It supports those currently out of work. The apparent situation stems mainly from the country's strict COVID-19-driven lockdown measures. Supply chains have been disrupted and many small businesses were shut down this year official data says the youth unemployment rate in urban areas rose to a record high of 19.9 percent in july the same rate in rural areas is believed to be much higher despite that the official urban jobless rate eased to 5.4 percent in the same month due to the chinese regime's history of under reporting certain figures the real jobless rate could be far higher On the communications front, another
0: nation is joining the list of ousting Chinese telecom gear from their 5G networks. But with India banning Huawei and ZTE, Huawei's founder says the company's priority now is to survive. Here's what's happening.
6: Telecom companies in India have abandoned China's Huawei and ZTE. In early August, New Delhi-based telecom company Bharti Airtel signed 5G service contracts with Nokia, Ericsson and Samsung. Another India telecom company, Geo Infocom or Geo, is also in talks with Ericsson and Nokia. That's for 5G equipment supplies. Geo already conducted 5G trials with the two companies and plans to offer the service for nine cities by early next year. As of now, the shift leaves no room for Chinese companies in India's 5G rollout. As for 4G, China used to take up to 20% of India's gear market, but not anymore. Huawei and ZTE will be gradually replaced by Ericsson, Nokia, and Samsung in Airtel's 4G network. Though Chinese equipment is less expensive, the Indian government and domestic companies are willing to make the change for security reasons, considering 5G's extensive military applications. Alongside the U.S., many of Washington's allies have banned Chinese gear from their 5G networks, including the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Japan. But the change isn't good news for the Chinese companies getting shut out. Huawei's founder says the company is in survival mode. According to an internal email, he said survival is now Huawei's top priority and hinted that employees may see a pay cut.
0: That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on our show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at ChinaInFocus@NTD.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.
6: The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.